Almighty God, how incredibly awesome you are. Heavenly Father, we open your scripture and we read it and we read of the power and the might and the awesome control you have over the universe. And Heavenly Father, it reminds us of how insignificant, how small we are, especially when we stand before you. Heavenly Father, we are undeserving of your kindness and generosity and of your love. The fact that you love us is amazing. Your love is greater than all the heavens. And Lord, we are so undeserving. We are overcome by the kindness and the grace of your love. We know that even the greatest things that we can imagine about you are truly just vapors, figments of who you really must be. How deep is the mystery of your love for us? Heavenly Father, we look to Jesus, how incredible Jesus is. Jesus, we are so lost without you. Our sin and our failure weigh us down. We fail to look to you the way we should. Jesus, we come this morning. Be with us. Holy Spirit, remind us. Let us not follow after our own hearts but to you and to you only, open our hearts. Lord, give us the wisdom to heed the words of your prophet Isaiah and to understand. Give us that discernment, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to finish off chapter 40 of Isaiah this week. We, we started the first eight verses of, of Isaiah and um, we're going to start at 9. We're going to go all the way through to the end at 31. Um, Isaiah, this, this is a song, by the way. Isaiah is proclaiming the greatness of God. And uh, this passage resembles another passage in the Old Testament. We'll look at that briefly as well. And you might think of this passage as the beginning of the middle piece of a great concert. It's a great crescendo of sound and importance right here in this section. And here in chapter 40, where Isaiah bursts out in song to comfort the people of God and to sing of God's word, which stands forever. Um, Isaiah is singing of the greatness of God. This is a really great chapter. Let's go ahead and start. Verse 9. Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. 
Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Zion here is the name of Israel, the nation. But it is also a metaphor for the faithful Jews living in Israel under siege from the Assyrians and later under siege by Babylon and while living in exile in Babylon. This is not just any mountain, but to proclaim God's greatness from his holy mountain, from the Temple Mount itself. But now, step back just a moment and look at Isaiah from where we live here in 2021. Isaiah is speaking to us. Do you hear that? Do you hear Isaiah? He has been dead for 2,700 years now, but he is speaking to each one of us individually. We are all being exhorted to encourage each other in our collective faith to cry out, to sing to our God, to him, and his unsurpassing faithfulness and grace and his love. Behold, this is our God. Continuing on, verse 10. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. God is coming to establish his kingdom. Yes, of course, God already owns it, but he comes to make his rule pervasive with his strong, outstretched arm, with power and might, dispensing his reward for his people. Listen to what Moses had to say about the arm of God. Exodus 15, 16. Exodus 15, 16. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as stone till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by by whom you have purchased. Isn't that interesting a way that Moses would say that God's people have been purchased? Foreshadowing Jesus here. And now let's look at what King David says. This is Psalm 44, verses 3 and 4. Psalm 44, verses 3 and 4. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. You are my king, O God, ordained salvation for Jacob. And once again here we have Jacob being used as a metaphor for not just the nation of Israel, but for the people of God, including ourselves. Psalm 98, 1 through 3. Psalm 98, 1 through 3. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, a psalm. O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness 
to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Did you catch that? Here, David is saying his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Continuing on, now the Apostle John. This is out of Revelation 19, 11 through 16. Revelation 19, 11 through 16. The rider on a white horse. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. He has a name written which no one knows but himself. He is clothed in robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is Jesus. Every single one of these is a reference to Jesus coming again. Isaiah 40, verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms, and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. God will tend his people as a shepherd cares for his flock. As the shepherd cares for the lambs and brings them in against his chest, carrying them gently in his arms, so too will God bring his people, holding his church against his chest, gently in his arms. And who is the good shepherd? The Apostle John writes, and here Jesus is speaking emphatically. John 10, 11 through 18. John 10, 11 through 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. And I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. 
I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Isaiah 40, verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? How vast and how great is our God that he would do all of these things. Have you heard something like this before? It's almost like Isaiah is restating a passage out of Job. So Job 38, we're going to go through 4 through 8 and 31 to 33. Job 38, 4 through 8, and then later 31 through 33. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know, or stretched out the line upon it, or what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, or who shut in the sea with the doors when it burst from the womb. Then later, verses 31 to 33. I love this passage. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Maseroth in their season? Or can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of heaven? Can you establish their rule on earth? Job right here is looking at the night sky. These are constellations. The Pleiades, Orion. Maseroth, we don't know what that is. That, that one's lost to us right now. We'll have to ask Jesus when we get there. But the bear and its children, the big and the little dipper. To this day, those constellations, by the way, their formal name is Ursa Major and Ursa Minor. In other words, the great bear and the smaller bear. Can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? And can you establish their rule on the earth? I sometimes think about astronomers today. I wonder how many of them are believers. And when they read this passage, do they see themselves as establishing the ordinance of the heavens here on earth? because of our understanding of the way the universe works, how much better it is than what they had in these days. And yet, still, how incredibly infinitesimal is our understanding of truly the way the universe works. Back to Isaiah 40, verses 13 and 14. Who has measured the Spirit of God? Or what man shows his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Of course, God knows all these things. 
How great and vast is our God. None can claim to have counseled God in the creation of the universe. None can claim to have understood justice the way God does. God created it all. There's a joke about scientists and engineers, about how all these amazing things that the scientists had figured out, that they could even create in laboratories, they could create and change life. And so one of the scientists gets told, okay, you get to go up there and tell God how great is our understanding. And so this guy goes up there and God says, oh, so you can do these things now. Show me how you do this. And the guy leans down and he picks up some dirt and God says, whoa, 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 whoa. Get your own dirt. I used to laugh about that one because we, our understanding is only of what God has created. Isaiah 40, verse 15. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as dust on scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. This drop from the bucket immediately made me think of Haggai. Haggai 1.6. Haggai 1.6. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. You look at this, the dust on the scales, of no importance, lost effort, a lot like putting your money in a bag with holes in it. The coastlands have always been highly regarded, ports where the goods come in from and the news that carry far, news of far off land. Yet of all the human effort and accomplishment, they are nothing standing before our God. Isaiah tells us this. Verses 16 and 17. Verses 16 and 17. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Lebanon was known as the land of high mountains and vast forests clear running streams of water. Yet all of this is not before God. All the nations together, not ancient Assyria or Babylon or Egypt, and certainly today, not the US, even standing with Russia and China, all are nothing before God. God counts them as nothing. Verse 18. To whom then will you liken God? Of what likeness compare with him? 
So who would we put up in contrast alongside our God? There is none. Isaiah is emphasizing this to make a point. Isaiah continues on, verses 19 and 20. On idols, a craftsman casts it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it through silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot, and he seeks out a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. It is a human response to offer a human solution. We always turn to our idol of choice. We are very careful to justify it to ourselves. We delude ourselves by looking to material things, objects created by our own hands. Look at how great and amazing we are. Our behaviors feed our own pride. Isaiah is calling us out for the baggage that we all drag around with us. This is nothing new. Pride, power, self-importance. Make it ornate with gold or silver chains. How incredibly pitiful are we before God? Verse 21. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told of you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? God asks that we realize everything comes from him. So often we take this for granted, and that from the very beginning we have been told this. And all we need to realize is that it is all from God. Over in Isaiah 52.6, Isaiah 52.6, Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. God is the beginning and the end. And he's everything in the middle as well. Verses 22 and 23. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants Inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretch out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Isaiah rightly points out that God is the one who sits above all the earth and that all of our activity, everything that we do, we are nothing more than locusts before God. It is God who stretches out the heavens. It is God who makes the princes and the rulers. And it is God that brings them down low. It is all God. Verse 24. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown. Scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. Then he blows on them and they wither. And the tempest carries them off like stubble. It is God who plants them, and in such a brief moment they sprout, wither, and are blown and carried off. Isaiah repeats from last week we heard, 
This is Isaiah 39, 6 through 8. Isaiah 39, 6 through 8. A voice cries, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. God asks, who can compare to me? The answer is obvious, that none can stand before our God. Verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name. By the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. God holds the people responsible for seeing his creation and not standing in awe of God, the creator. God holds everyone responsible for not understanding. Romans 1, 18 to 25. Romans 1, 18 to 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who put their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to see to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Jacob again hears a metaphor for Israel, but it's also for the church today. And Isaiah is thinking of the returning exiles from Babylon. But again, Isaiah is also calling out to us to return to God. Our God is powerful to deliver, and he is the only one who can save us. Verses 28 and 29. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. Grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, 
He increases strength. All of this simply points out how incredibly awesome and how great is our God. David in Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2. David in Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And the last two verses in Isaiah 40, this is one of my favorite verses out of the Bible. Verses 30 and 31. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Exodus 19.4 Exodus 19.4 you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. This is God speaking to the nation of Israel. Exodus 19.4 Psalm 103, 1 through 5. Psalm 103, 1 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forgot, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your disease, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. This is the close of our passage today. God redeems us in the end. God's people do not have an easy life. Whether it is Babylon or whether it is COVID in 2021. But God's promise stands in the end. Do you hear what Isaiah is hear saying here? Can you see what God is doing? And can you see the imprint of Jesus here waiting above all to save all of God's people in Isaiah's words? What God has planned is greater than what any of us can imagine. Isaiah is singing here. This entire song is a song of redemption. God will redeem Israel and bring all of God's people to his holy mountain to worship him. You can see it plainly in the words. Isaiah is saying, look to God, soar on his wings. God will be there in the end, having paid with Jesus' death on the cross. God is the only one who can save us. Jesus is calling out. Jesus had to pay for that. God ends up having to pay for our sin and our rebellion and our unfaithfulness. Jesus takes on our guilt and he carries it far away. Our sin is atoned for. 
Isaiah is pointing us back towards God. Isaiah is telling us to change the way we live in the world. And Isaiah wants us to become more like Jesus. I think about what happened to Isaiah, the chaos and the tumult of his world, and the faith that God gave to him, and how Isaiah displays his hold to the anchor, and how all of this serves God's righteousness. Ultimately, all of this serves God's greatness too, and his greatness will be there for all to see on the day of the Lord. We will all witness his greatness and his splendor on that day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how amazing are the words from Isaiah. You have handed down these words and protected them, spoken by Isaiah, written down and carried through all these years, 2,700 years later, just for us to read. Down through the ages, you have protected these words. Heavenly Father, we know you have been faithful. We keep trying to save ourselves. We look to Egypt. We look to the world. You want us to hear yourself in Isaiah's words. You continue to hold us in the palm of your hand and protect us. And you guide us and care for us. Heavenly Father, hide your word in our hearts. We read the words of your prophet Isaiah. We ask you to write those words, carve them on our hearts, deep down inside of us. Give us the lessons that we have to learn from you. And guide us in your perfect path. Jesus, you died in our place to redeem us, to save us. Lord Jesus, you are so amazing, and we love you. We bless you and we honor you, and we sing praise to you, the name above all names, the name of Jesus. Amen.